Hello, everyone. Sky Board Reds, Nottingham Forest, produced one of their best performances of the season to beat Aston Villa 2 0 and go 12th in the Premier League with victory at the City Ground. We'll talk top quality tactics, performances, and goals in the company of a top quality panel. But joining me, first of all, is Reds fan Greg Mitchell. Morning, Greg. How are you? Morning. I was waiting for the top quality panel and Greg then, but you let me off. So, yeah, I'm great. Well, you know, Forest didn't score open goals at the weekend. They scored from distance, so I'll leave the open goals for another show. Uh, Second guest today is Emily Anderson. Morning, Emily. You well? Morning. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Good, good. And fresh from having his picture taken with Eminem, Mike Tyson, the great and the good of Saudi Arabia. He's now with us is Darren Fletcher. Fletch, good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Can I just say before we start that one of the main reasons why I love this club so much is... What happened before the game yesterday? The young lad that was the there was the bugler yesterday, and the love that was shown to him by the fans, by the players, by the manager, <clears throat> it made that young man's day even more special. I thought he did a wonderful job. He's very very brave to do it. He's 16 years of age, and the way that the whole of the city ground gathered around him at the end of it was was wonderful. I thought it was absolutely perfect. And I think he's been invited to the training ground. I'm led to believe mm-hmm. by the manager to meet the players, which is. Which is, which it's a lovely touch as well. So well, well done to everybody who did that yesterday and applauded him and, and made him feel special. I thought that was brilliant. Yes, well done to him. Sixteen-year-old uh, Caden Story uh, is his name. Very brave to see that. Sixteen-year-old me uh, was uh, being rejected by girls on a weekly basis <laughs> rather than doing stuff like that. So uh, well done to him. Well done to Steve Cooper for that classy gesture and the players and the Villa players as well who went up. I don't know it's Luca Dean went up and gave him a pat on the shoulder. So well done all round. Uh, right. Uh, Matt is on the pitch then. We'll start with uh, just some overall general thoughts as per usual, just to see what you made of it. Greg, emotions walking out of the ground. How are you feeling? Oh, amazing. Absolutely brilliant. So overdue, wasn't it? We knew we'd got those kind of performances in us. You know, we didn't get the rub of the green with other games and it just all came together yesterday and it could have been four or five. <laughs> you know, some of the chances we had, if we wouldn't didn't have nine offsides or however many it was, we could have been... You know, it could have been devastating for Villa, but it was just the perfect day, really. Just great atmosphere. Everything we wanted to happen, happened. Um, like in the 94th minute, the nerves changed from, God, I hope we're not going to draw this to, let's not just keep a clean sheet now. That was massive to be able to do that. And they just, they fully deserved it. Absolutely brilliant for the win. Yeah, the 94th minute was when you relaxed, was it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that probably says something about being a Forest fan as well, to be fair. Uh, Emily, I'll, I, actually, on our preview show, there are lots of Villa fans uh, on the YouTube comments, more than ever, uh, mm. telling us how we were going to get absolutely battered, like we were playing prime Barcelona uh, under Pep. I and mean, Villa are very good, to be fair. I, I'm sure they'll have a great season. But you were called deluded in particular. So uh, yes. I don't know if you want to cash any checks or anything, but what did you make of it? No, I'm just feeling very smug this morning. I got an awful lot of jip off Villa fans when I suggested that man for man on our day, we could match Villa. Well, we did all right, didn't we? Got a clean sheet, scored two goals. It was the perfect debut for the Codemos. I suggested he should possibly start. I know a lot of people agree with that. He had a great debut, didn't he? It was a great all-round team performance. I particularly loved the back four, I think. But everyone did their job. Everyone did their job. And we scored two great goals. The atmosphere was brilliant. It was really fitting that um, a goal was scored on the 47th minute as we started to clap for Adam Johnson. Um, there was the beautiful double rainbow that appeared. It just felt like a 
lovely afternoon of football, like Greg said, really overdue that win. And it just goes to show, as we've been saying for weeks, this is a long old season. Premier League points are hard to come by. Premier League wins are even harder to come by. Um, we did it yesterday. We got the clean sheet. We got the goals. Um, we're 12th in the table. Enjoy it. Was this one of those games, Fletch, where we were uh, a good, very good, perhaps caught Vida on a bit of an off day, but overall, you know, we take a lot of positives from it and feel like we're kind of back on track after a couple of rough weeks? I think we've all seen Villa better than that. A lot better than that. I thought Villa were poor yesterday. But I think when when you find a team that's been playing to the standard that they have and they are slightly off it, then you've got the responsibility to take advantage. And I thought that's what Forrest were really good at doing yesterday. I thought it was two performances in 90 minutes. I thought the first half performance was excellent. I thought they pressed well. I thought they took the game to Aston Villa. I thought they kept the ball well. I thought Sangari was really dominant in central midfield, probably as good as I've seen him in a Forest shirt to this point, very, very in control of, of the whole situation. There looked to be a really nice blend and balance in there. And then I think when you get that 2-0 lead and you start to think then, and you can't help it, you start to reflect on blowing the lead against Luton. No doubt the manager then had a, a think himself at half-time about how he was going to manage the second half, how he wanted the team to play in the second half. And I thought that, that in general, that they did... They did that well. I thought Steve made substitutions at good times, made the changes that he needed to make at the right times, which even by his own admission, he didn't do against Luton. Um, but I, was all, I would also say that they do take a chance when you defend that deep and you give the opposition that much ball in the second half. And I think it was one of those games where one goal changes all of the momentum and, and they didn't concede the goal, which is fine. So I'm, I'm not being overly critical, but... It is a gamble to sit that deep at home in the second half and allow the opposition in the Premier League to come at you like that. Now, they got away with it yesterday because they, they made blocks when they needed to, made tackles when they needed to. The goalkeeper, as Emily's just said, looked very calm and assured. I thought he, he looks like a quiet goalkeeper. I like quiet goalkeepers, not noisy ones. And he was, it was a quiet, methodical, experienced performance from a man who's played in the Champions League before. But... I thought it was a real good step in the right direction in terms of game management. I don't think there's any problem with Forrest getting the lead in games and scoring goals in games and having the individual and collective ability to do well against really good Premier League teams. But the worry for me is how we manage situations. And I thought yesterday those situations were managed a lot better than we've seen in the past. And whether Luton was the fork in the road that, right, you know, we've got to stop doing this. We have got to maintain what we have and I thought they did that really well yesterday I thought it was um it they looked very solid um yesterday so all in all they've beaten Villa Villa would have gone fourth if they if they if they won so that shows how well they've been playing going into this weekend they scored more goals in the Premier League than anybody else so statistically speaking they were right at the top of the pack so any kind of result yesterday was going to be good um and, and Forest full value for, for the three points um, just before we unpack some of those things that you said there, Fletch, I want to ask you one Villa question. Obviously, it's not a Villa podcast, but you commentate on them more and see them more than I do. The high line, they picked it up on Match of the Day, and they have done a few times when they lose. They always say about this high line. I mean, I just found it absolutely insane because Torres isn't an athlete. Dinius gets really high at the pitch. Cash gets really high at the pitch. I don't think I've seen anything like that for years. Our players kind of bending their runs, going back, tracking back. It was a weird, weird game. Is, is it a mental line uh, to play that high or is it something that normally works for them and we just have to accept that Emery's been very successful this way? 
Well, well, he, he's always done it. Um, and I noticed they never mentioned the highlight on match of the day when Villa win. So yeah. it's not always a problem. And they do play it really well. I mean, they're, they're used to it. They're good at it. And I think one thing you don't see very often in modern football now are midfield players who make those deep runs. You used to see, I remember when Roy Keane was at Forest, Roy made that run all the time. Went to change his game and he went to Man United and, and, and sat more. But Steve Hodge and him would always run past the central striker. You see Steven Gerrard do that when he was at Liverpool, but there aren't too many around who do that anymore. And I think yesterday it was almost crying out for somebody to come from a deeper position to make a run beyond Taiwo. And then you do break that offside trap. I don't think it's natural for Mangala, for Dominguez or Sangari to do that. So it tended to play in Villa's hands. I think they're quite happy coping with a centre forward trying to bend his run or Morgan Gibbs-White from the other side trying to do that. I thought the switch was on to Anthony Alanga a lot more than Forrest used it yesterday because he seemed to have oceans of space on the other side. And if they would have switched it into that kind of space, I think he might have been able to exploit that. But had Danilo been fully fit, you could see Danilo in central midfield making those runs beyond Pau Torres all day and it being very successful for Forrest. But I think it's easy to see that as a weakness for Aston Villa, but they do it every game. And so far, teams are finding it difficult to score goals against them, even though as fans, you sit there on the edge of your seat thinking, we're bound to score a goal at some point doing this today because look how easy it looks. But it does work for them. So... I think it's easy to pinpoint it as a weakness when they do concede goals, but I think more often than not, it works for them and they play that system very well. Mm. Um, Fletch is right, Emily, about obviously we dropped very deep second half. I kind of like to think that's because Taiwo tired badly, probably after, literally after our second goal, he looked very, you know, short of energy, which is understandable. There would no one to bring on like Wood or Origi or Hudson Adoy. Was it kind of a case of needs must? And hopefully in a different situation, we can make a sub that gets us out a bit more in a second half. Yeah, I mean, first of all, wasn't it great that Ty A could start? He was fit enough to start and we got 80 minutes out of him. And yeah, it was really obvious, wasn't it, um, in the second half that he was tiring. And most of the game was played um, with Villa pressing and us defending. And as a fan, that's quite difficult to watch because... We weren't getting much of the ball, obviously. They were pressing us really high and um, it it was nerve-wracking. But actually, as the game wore on, I didn't feel like Villa were going to score. And I'm, I'll be honest, I didn't relax until the final whistle, let alone 94th minute. Um, but I guess it, it just goes to prove that when the final whistle went, that we can soak up that pressure. We soaked up that pressure well. Everybody did their jobs in the defensive line. And there wasn't a moment, was there, when actually you thought, oh, Villa are going to score here. Uh, Matty Cash missed a, a pretty easy one in the first half. McGinn had a chance. Ollie Watkins in the second half. But there wasn't that moment that we were all like, oh, we got away with one there. Um, for whatever reason, Villa didn't have their, their scoring boots on yesterday. But maybe that's maybe we we blunted we blunted them. So. Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't pretty to watch in the second half, I'll be honest. But because we got the the two goal advantage, it made it less less nervy. But you know, you, you can't really complain, can you? It was just disappointing that we didn't we weren't able to um, mount any sort of pressure on them, and and the possession stats were low again. But it doesn't matter, does it? Because the only the only stat that counts is the the goals at the end of the day. So yeah. 
True, true. Uh, right, there are 700 of you with us, so do like and subscribe. I should pay someone some money to do better animations than me just you know, downloading those ones that just take over the whole screen. But if you're listening on iTunes, give us a good review as well. Very much appreciated. Um, going back to the team selection, Greg, it was interesting that Cooper, we, we expected the goalkeeping change. We'll talk about Bacodemos a little more, but changing a centre-half, Willy Bolly, who'd done really well, bringing in Kate for his, I assume, for his athleticism against Ollie Watkins and Diaby. Uh, that works really well as well. I think Cooper got it spot on team selection tactics, didn't he? Yeah. Um, sorry, I think my signal's gone then. I just thought that he got the team selection right. He got all the substitutions right. Uh, everything seemed to work in his favour. And what was refreshing was when he did his post-match um like interviews he spoke about how they were going to set up against Aston Villa because of how high they play and he was you don't usually hear him that honest and open about how they're going to play and he, I think he was just so pleased how well the how well it worked and how it just seemed to you know like I say we could have scored three or four goals and I know Aston Villa do that for every single game but surely they've been found out now if a team of our where we are currently in the leagues are doing it to them I think they're going to have to change the way they play away from home because if, we, like I say, we get our offsides right, uh, there's going to be more goals. Um, yeah, Nia Kai was just superb. <laughs> I couldn't choose between him and Murillo, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure who Sky gave man of the match to, but I'd, I'd have gave it... Oh, was it Murillo? Yeah, I'd, mm. I'd have gave it one of those back too, but then there's probably five or six that, that could have laid claim for it, especially the likes of Toffolo, how influential he was again someone who wasn't guaranteed his spot and he just took it, took it so well. He couldn't have had much better game, could he? And I hope he's fit for the next one because he should be starting. Mm. I mean, changing 4v back five is a ballsy move, Fletch. It doesn't happen too often in the Premier League, but new goalie, three of the new, three defensive chain. Murillo, weirdly, is the only constant and he's the youngest one of the lot. But again, it works really well, to be fair. Yeah, and, and I think in, in the manager's defence, he's still very much in the early stages of working out what his best group is, again, because of the the recruitment in the summer. You know, it's not that long in, in football terms, in game terms, that the transfer window closed. So I think he's still probably working out situationally who he needs against certain opposition and, and working that out. And I think, that, again, like we said last year, they will become a, a team that, that gets better and better the longer the season goes on as players bed in, become more comfortable um, and the manager starts to know the ones he can trust in certain situations. But defensively, yeah, outstanding um, yesterday. I was particularly pleased for Harry Toffolo because Harry was one of the players and always seems to be one of the players that people would say are oh, not quite good enough for the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing you get from Harry is, is, is 100% commitment every time he plays. And I think every team needs characters like him in the, in the group. And if there's not going to be a role at the minute for Joe or for Ryan, then maybe Harry brings that kind of character to the group um, and helps them in that regard, as well as being a very effective left-back, as he was yesterday. Um, just going back to Greg's point when he talked about Villa, I think the big success they have with this high line, Greg, is that more often than not, they're scoring goals at the other end. So they've got you penned in, so it's hard to get out. That's why they've scored, I think, 26 going into the weekend. They, they tend to do that, so that works for them. When it's not quite going right, you, you've got a great point that they, they can look a little bit exposed the other way. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I, I think he got his team selection right yesterday in terms of the starters, and 
the, the key thing for me was how's he going to manage the lead because that was where the microscope was after Luton and and I think I think there's a legacy of not managing situations well I think back to Brentford last year didn't manage that situation well L- lessons weren't learned we've been in a lot of situations the Premier League side where you look at the substitutions the timing of them who it is coming on for who it was and things like I go Really, is that is that really the right thing to do? And it's cost us. But I thought yesterday, you could see the side. I don't know whether yesterday Steve managed a little bit more with feel as opposed to stats, because managers now, and it's not just Steve, a lot of them are, will will make substitutions and, and make selections based on whether players are in the red zone and in the green zone, and it's all to do with, with minutes on the pitch and, and, and all this kind of thing. Whether sometimes he's a little bit, too tied to that method. I don't know because I'm not in there. But yesterday he seemed to stand there and feel it and, and look at Taiwo and say, look, he can give me 80 minutes, then I've got to take him off, but I'm going to max him out at 80 minutes. I think in the past he might have gone for 65 minutes because the, the, the stats might have told you that that's what he could do. But yesterday that they needed 80 minutes. So you get that, you do it. And I think that was a real sign of progress that they could manage the situation and make those big game management moves in an effective way. And I think if we can do that moving forward, then it will make us um, significantly better and help us to to stick to what we've got in certain situations. Yes. About 50 people correct me that Newcastle got Sky when I match, apparently. But I'm glad people are, are, are listening in, so that's good. Um, have we seen the last of Matt Turner for a while, Emily, do you think, probably? Fletcher did the performance yeah. quiet, and I, kind of, I agree. But he also had kind of an air of confidence that I don't think Turner necessarily projects. So... Samba did it. Henderson and Samba had a bit of an arrogance and a swagger and Navas as well. But Vakonomos, he did everything he was meant to. He looked very calm. Uh, and I feel like, with no disrespect to him, but it feels like an upgrade to me. Yeah, that's how it felt to me. The only thing I'll say is he wasn't really tested yesterday, was he? Um, there were quite straightforward saves for him, the ones he had to make. But he he did his job and you could tell he was commanding his box. Um Everyone felt quite comfortable with him in goal. And, you know, after the first nervy five minutes for us, not for him, for us, thinking, is he going to be all right? He was great. I think he did everything that he was he was told to do. Um, it was a good time to give him a, a um, give him the chance because of the, the problems that, that we've seen with Turner. I feel for Turner, generally I feel for him, but actually, isn't it great that we've got two really good goalkeepers at the club? And if anything happens to Vlokodomos in terms of an injury or any other issues, uh, we've got Turner that can switch straight back in. It'll keep them both competitive. Um, I felt really, really comfortable with with him in goal. And yeah, you're right. He's he's very quiet, considered. Didn't make a big noise. You couldn't see him really screaming and shouting at his defenders. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess now is the time for Vlokodomos to shine. Um, I'll come to you in a minute, Greg. Sorry, I know you're leaving you hanging. Uh, what do you think about this thing, Fletch, with clubs having two number ones? It feels like a very Premier League 2023 thing. I, I'm not sure I'm on board. I think it's a recipe for one of them moving on every year. But what do you think about it? I, I don't know if Forest have got two number ones because I, I would expect at this point Vlakodimos would become the number one. Um, mm. If you look at his career and what he's done, played for Stuttgart, played for Panathinaikos, over 150 games for Benfica, some of which were in the Champions League. 35 caps, I think it is, for Greece. He's a very, very experienced player. Played at every level for Germany up until under-21s and then decided to play at senior level for, for, for Greece. 
So you've got a, a man that's been in big situations, in big competitions. And I think if you look at his resume, it's significantly different to Matt Turner's. Um, I think he'll pull away. I, th I think he'll become the goalkeeper. And, I, and I'm a little bit surprised it's taken this long because I think he, he will ultimately turn out to be the better of the two. So I like the fact yesterday that he was unfussy, quiet, he's experienced, nothing seemed to phase him. I think, you know, the arrogance of a goalkeeper is fine, but it can be quite distracting sometimes. And I think goalkeepers who are overly active can again be a distraction to defenders. But I thought yesterday he knew when to leave his centre-backs to deal with it. Never really took a chance. He was happy to punch crosses away. He made a couple of really good saves, one at the near post in the first half. And I thought the better one was in the second half where he didn't see it till late and he got down and, and, and kept a, a relatively well-struck shot out. Um, but no, just and just when, when the ball was around him, very comfortable with his feet. You know, not you're not going to mistake him for Edison anytime soon, but but good enough. And and I, I I just thought he looked, I just thought he looked like a number one. I just think he, he looks like a number one. I think you can relax around him, let him leave him be. And I think he'll be fine. I know it's early days, but just look if you look at the back at the career. And by the way, Ben Freaker, Ben Freaker, pretty good at. Um, at recruiting goalkeepers. For some reason, they're not bad. If you go through the list of Benfica goalkeepers, they're actually pretty good at doing that. Some clubs have just are just blessed in terms of being able to find certain positions. Benfica goalkeepers have been pretty good and he's had a, a relatively long go with them. So it was good to see him in. I think it was the right time to put him in. Um, and and I, I would expect him now to, to kick on and be the number one for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree. Maybe Turner in hindsight should have gone after the Brentford game, but I kind of respect Cooper's man management to back a player when the chips are down, but I, I think you're right, Fletch. He's the long-term number one. Um, going back to the first goal then, Greg, it, was this the way we want Steve Cooper wants his team to play now, through the thirds, full-back to full-back? I love a full-back to full-back goal, even if it was from distance, but it shows a much more progressive kind of way of playing, didn't it? Yeah, and Toffolo's ball, playing it into an area, not just trying to find the man playing it and trusting that his his partner on the other side is going to pick it up. It was superb. When you when you watch the highlights and you see where I like the he runs from or or walks from, it's almost like uh, the thoughts of Messi where he, you know he's not really having to do a lot. He's just trusting, waiting for it to get there. And he just took it so well to side foot it, not just the Villa players, they must have skied about four or five shots yesterday to have the composure to to score a goal from that far out and place it in the corner, I think we're finally going to get on goal of the month next next uh, next month. Anyway, <laughs> I thought it was great. It must have been a deliberate thing, a tactical thing to pull it back because Villa's mm. high. Good about this high line. They're all flooding back. It all gets broken up, and then there's this huge space in front of their defence. I think it must have been coached because it was a really good ball from Toffolo, and then he did it for the second one. Uh, the second one, Emily, a brilliant strike from Mangala. Um, there was a goalkeeping factor in it, but you've got to credit the strike as well, haven't you? Yeah, it was a fantastic strike. And to be honest, as soon as Martinez tipped it, he thought, is he tipping it over the ball? Hang on, that's not high enough. That's going in. Um, so fair play to him. I, and I'm just so thrilled for Mangala. That's his first goal at the city ground, isn't it? I think it's his second goal for us. And you could actually see, A, what it meant to him, but also what it meant to the rest of the team. Someone's um, reminded me on Twitter, if you have a look at the goal celebrations back, near Carte's face is an absolute picture. He dances along, so proud. And they, you could just see how happy they are all for him. And I mentioned it briefly, but the fact that the goal was scored on the 47th minute as well, 
just I think meant so much to a lot of the fans because we immediately started our round of applause for Adam Johnson. I know Aaron Mongal is a, a regular at Panthers games. Um, the only thing that that ruined it slightly was the VAR check. Um, but yeah, the goal stood and it was fantastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled for him. And just on the first goal as well, by the way, it was a real team goal. Did you know that Ina won the, won the ball back, passed it back to Nia Carter, then went through about five or six different players. We passed our way through, passed forward. Um, lovely run from Alanga, who then knocked it back to Toffolo into Ina, back of the net. So it was one of those goals that was, like you say, clearly that they, they practiced this and it was nice to see the whole team involved in the goal. Mm-hmm. Did you celebrate the goals, Greg? Because they looked like there was no way VAR was going to be involved in either goal. And then they still found stuff to check. I wasn't in my seat for either goal. So because we did the banners and flags, we were just walking back up through the main stand. And obviously you can't walk past the tunnel. So we're in the concourse and we hear the the crowd getting excited. So my mate Matt says, come on, we ran up into B block. Just as we got up there, the place erupted. It was superb. Uh, And then obviously for the second goal, we had the, the Johnson banner. Um, and like you say, the VAR thing, I mean, come on, you don't need to put it on the screen as well, do you? But yeah, it was weird. I think because I was so busy, I, I didn't have time to to think, oh, this is going to be disallowed. It was just brilliant to celebrate that first one in B block. I used to sit sit up there, so it was great to, uh, great to be back and have that little moment. But uh, no, I, I was never too worried, to be honest, with the VAR checks. You can always tell by the way the players are acting, can't you? Like with the uh, the penalty decision that was offside, the players were taking it back. We all knew, oh, that's not going to be a penalty. But I didn't get that feeling with the goals for once. So, yeah, I certainly did celebrate them. <laughs> if you were watching at home, as I was, or in fact, I wasn't watching at home. I should credit my wife because we were away for the weekend and I just had it on my laptop and I just left it as long as I could say nothing, thinking she'd say, well, we've got to go out now, we've got to go out now. But she didn't, so I was allowed to get away with that. So thank you to her. But on Sky, they drew that line. It was so wonky. It looked really weird, but that's another... VAR conversation. Um, I haven't asked you about Mangala, I don't think, Fletch, this season. I was kind of critical of him last season, didn't quite know what he was. But now I think we see it with better midfielders around him that you can see he looks like a proper Premier League player, doesn't he, this year? Yeah, I think just overall in general now, and when you think about the quality of the goals yesterday, I think this is a much better technical Forest team. The players are technically better. And I think when we... When we spoke about the summer recruitment, I was really impressed by it. And I think I said it on here that I think that they'd probably hit on everybody in their own way. That they'd not, I don't think you're going to have anybody come in from the players they bought in the summer and go, well, that, he's a dud. Whereas last year, that wasn't the case. It was hit and miss and they were trying to work it out. But I think when you look at the team now from front to back, they are technically so much better. The centre halves can play. The fullbacks can deliver. The midfield have got three really technical players in there who can control situations and they've got a bit of everything about them. Dominguez is a wonderful presser, great energy. Sangari's a presence in there, could do a bit of a lot. Mangala's the one that tends to sit and lend you the ball and have it back again and he's unfussy and he doesn't want to be the star. And I think that takes a mindset to do that. So that's probably why they were so happy for him when he scored yesterday because he does a lot of the unselfish stuff, doesn't he? Has it off somebody holds it for a little while, gives it your back again. Doesn't want to be doesn't want to be the headline maker. And that that I think takes a mindset for an individual to do it, to almost leave your ego in the dressing room and then do what the team needs you to do. Um but I, I like the balance in there now. I think a midfield is is, is all about balance. You need a, a bit of everything in there. I think 
the additions give us that. I always thought last year that there was something missing in central midfield. Always something missing, whether it was a whether it was numbers, whether it was a certain type. I think we we ended up having Morgan Gibbs White in there for some games, and that's not really where Morgan wants to be. But but I thought Steve last year was always trying to find the right blend in there. But this year he's got players he can look at, and I think you can put the names of of, of Sangari, um, Mangala, and Dominguez down more often than not and know that that midfield is going to be sufficient based on what you do. And that's a real strength when you look at the other players he's got in those positions who can come off the bench. So I just thought overall, technically, we look better this year and the balance in midfield is good. But I remember watching Mangala last year at the City ground against West Ham and marvelling at just how comfortable he was on the ball. And I I, I still think there's more inside him. I, th- I, I still think we've got more of Mangala to see. And I think the better the team gets the more you'll see from him. I spoke to Roberto Martinez when he, he first came because I'd not come across him. And he plays, obviously, for he played for Roberto with Belgium. And I said, what's, what, you know, what's he like? And he said, he's a wonderful game manager, technically very good. It's the kind of player you can put into any situation and he'll be fine. And you can see by his personality, you never see him get ruffled. You never see him frustrated or flustered. He's got the game face all the time, ice cool in every situation. And if you speak to managers, they will always say to you, that if they've got a midfield player that will take the ball in any situation, in any area, they'll pick them 10 times out of 10. And, and I think he's one of those. You, you can be three or four nil down and he'll still get it and try and play and do the right things. And, and, and managers can trust him. So I think he's a, he's a, he's a fantastic complement to this midfield. I think last season when you looked at it, you were looking for someone to step up and be the A side of the midfield. I think now you've got three that share the load and it works really well. So I think that unit right now is is as good as it's been since Forrest have been in the Premier League. Yeah, the better Sangare gets to dominate that area, Bill Freeman Gala up, I think, and he could get four or five goals this season. 45 minutes yesterday, he was fantastic. Sangare. Yeah. I just thought everything he did in and out of possession was of a really high standard. He does everything at his own speed. He's the boss in there. He played one or two subtle little passes that just got us away. A couple of times on the ball where you saw his strength, he'd just have it hold people off and turn and play. I thought for 45 minutes yesterday, you, you, you were you were starting to see just what Sangari is going to be. I think by by the end of the season, people are going to be going some player. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, Emily, you were ready. You were ready to bring Ryan Yates back for this game for energy commitment, everything Yates he brings, but. Do you see what you wanted to see in Sangare now from that game? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is why I don't pick the team, Matt, (laughs) why I don't manage Forrest. I'm just a fan. I know nothing. I literally know nothing. And actually, Yates worked really well, didn't he, as a late sub yesterday. And yeah, really impressed with Sangare. Um, we all knew it, he had it in him and he's he's only going to get better as he gets more comfortable in England, more comfortable in the Premier League, more comfortable with the team. Um, he was, yeah, he was he was great yesterday. And he's he's starting to be the boss in midfield that that we wanted to be and that, that we, you know, he was threatening to be. Um, so, yeah, I'm re- really pleased for him because from some fans on some social media sites, he's been getting an awful lot of stick. So it's good that he's starting to prove his worth. Not that he should have to do that. But, yeah, no, re- really good. And I just think all three of them work really well together. Dominguez as well. And Mangala, who, you know, we we know we know what he can do. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, I can't quite work out, you know, what, what Bologna were thinking about when they let Dominguez <laughs> go like that. I mean, I, I, I don't get it. 
It must have been a contract thing, wasn't it? Surely. Oh, I can't God, think of it. I suppose so, yeah. But I mean, he was he was lauded in Bologna. They used to call him the king of the press, and the fans loved him. And now he gets swapped for Freuler, which I mean, Freuler's great in Italy. Ita- Italian football suits Freuler. So Freuler's probably doing wonderfully well for them. But just seems to be the kind of player that you just wouldn't swap. <laughs> you want to do something with it. I, th- I think Forrest are really fortunate to have him. I think he's. Um, I think he kind of came in under the radar. Everybody was obsessed with Sangari because we'd taken so long to get him and he was going to be the record signing that Dominguez was almost an add-on. I think from what we've seen of him so far, he's given that midfield so much, so much. And I think it's a, a unit that wouldn't quite function the way it is without him. I think he's made a massive impact. Yeah, and Yates did do well off the bench. And I thought Nico Williams did well. I mean, the player gets it. was literally only a 10-minute cameo, but he did well against Bailey. So, yeah, all, all worked very well. Last one on the game, Greg, we'd spoken about the atmosphere hadn't quite been there this season, but I think you quite right said before, there was a sense of jeopardy going into this one. Like, it wasn't one we were supposed to win. It's the first game I felt really, like, nervous watching this season. What was it like in the ground? Was it what you were hoping for? Yeah, and it's one of them where we all expected it to be better, and it was. But I think you've got the players give us the performance as well to to really um, to really sing and shout about. And at the end of the game, it gave me like memories of the Man City one where we're really having to hang on, and you know the crowd swinging the scarves, every single stand. And I always say when the Trent and sing and when they start a song, the whole ground responds. That stand just must have such good acoustics that it's deafening. And, um, you know, when you're full of it and you can't get enough forest stuff in. So last night I was watching all the YouTube stuff and I ended up watching this Aston Villa fans, like, blog of the day. And to be fair to him, it was ever so good and he was dead fair. But before the game, they're all like, 2-0 Villa, 3-0 Villa, up the Villa. We're not going to lose to these. Holy blah. And then you could see him as the game went on. He was talking about the atmosphere. He was talking about how well Forrest were playing. Give us loads of credit at the end of the game. And I thought, fair play, because, you know, other teams see it. Other teams hear it. I can't remember the the Forrest player uh, after the game who did the interview appreciating how loud it was. And uh, as much as it was great to hear, it was like, yeah, it hasn't been like that the, the last few games. And he's noticed it. He's noticed how good it can be. So it just it was just a feel good day, wasn't it? And just going back a couple of questions on Nico Williams, I wanted to try and get him in my team uh, last week, and those ten minutes showed what a quality player he was. And he's picked up just where he was at the end of last season when he was close to getting in our starting eleven and and you know staying there because there's a chance he might get fed up and not get enough game time and start thinking I need to to play and look elsewhere and to get him in the team to play the way he can do, I think it's it's brilliant. And just one other thing as well, whilst I was thinking, um, the guys next to me, when we were talking about Dominguez and Yates and that, we were worried about the, the quality of our bench before the game. And then when Danilo comes on, you think a player of his quality is suddenly fourth or fifth choice in the in the midfield for us. And it, it must be such a headache for Cooper now to have all this quality around that part of the midfield and they're just not going to get the game time, are they? And I think that's why it's so critical that when they do come on, they have the performances they do. Hmm. Why do we always say it's a headache for a manager when he's got loads of good players? We always do it. I'm, it I'm must be. 
I'm as guilty as you, right? But in all honesty, Steve must be sat in his office going, isn't this brilliant? Because you'd sooner have more than not enough. You'd sooner be thinking, what on earth do I do with Danilo who should be starting when he's fit? But I can't get into this midfield and thinking, if only I had a player like Danilo who could give me a problem. And I also think as well that the best teams in the league have competition for places, don't they? You know, so mm. that's going to spur the people on. You've got to fight for your shirt. There were times last season where Forest players were getting a shirt by default because that was all we had. That's not the case now. You've got players under real pressure from really quality players in, 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 in the squad who want to come in and take that shirt. And, and that's that's going to make you better. And I also think as well as a fan, when I go around the Premier League and we, and we cover games on a, on a Saturday lunchtime, if that game, when Villa played Brighton at Villa Park, you kind of went, it's a tight game this, but you you fancy Villa to win it because they're at home. So that's two good teams playing against each other. And you'd say, both good sides, you'd probably just give Villa the edge because they're at home. Villa won 6-1 in the end, but it was a freak result. But you'd give them the edge. If Forest want to be a mid-table group, then games like yesterday, you have to walk in there feeling like, we should we should nick this today because we're at home. And I thought that's what it looked like yesterday. It looked like two good teams. The team that was at home had the edge over the balance. Villa were made to play like an away side. And I think too many teams have been able to come to the city ground and play like the home team in terms of dominating the ball. But I thought yesterday, certainly in the first half, Villa were treated like an away team by the by the players. We were the team that were on the front foot going forward trying to win it. We were pressing. We were trying to set the tempo and dictate it all. And I think that's a, an underappreciated and undervalued aspect of the improvement of the group. That If, if they want to be a mid-table side, you have to have Villa at home and get the win. That, that's what happens. That's what then gets you into that next group. And I thought yesterday was a, a real step in the right direction. It's great to see them 12th in the table. But I think where they are at the moment is possibly the minimum. Because I think, you know, in an ideal world, you beat Burnley and you beat Luton. So you can make a case that they should be four points better just based on what they've done at home. So I think they're in a good position, but I think they could be in a better position. And I think moving forward, you'll start to see that. Yeah. Um, Paul and Steve in the comments rightly point out that Mangal and Sangari are already one yellow away from a, a ban. So players are going to get chances. Don't get me started on that. You get booked now for one foul. Danilo so got booked for rolling the ball away. Five fouls, you're going to get a suspension. It's cracking. Yeah. It's cracking. They're going to change that now. You know when they put that law in, it was hard to get booked. If you go and watch these old match of the day, the 80s and 90s and all that, I mean, you, you've literally got to commit yeah, GBA, now, if, if somebody runs past you and you just happen to catch the shirt or put your arm across, you get a yellow card. So I think for the for the fan who want to see the best players on the pitch, for the supporters paying as much as they are for ticket prices, they've got to take a look at it because players are going to be suspended way more than they were because they just give yellow cards out for absolutely everything. So I think five yellows now is not enough to warrant a suspension. I mean, you look at the players that Forrest, that you just mentioned there, I bet they've not made a bad tackle, any of them. And mm. they're one away from getting a suspension. And you could go back to all of them and go, nothing in it, really. Mm. But I, th- I think they've got to take a look at that. I don't like the way that those that those suspensions are handed out now, because I just, I just think it's far too easy to get booked and therefore it's far too easy to get suspended. And then the team and ultimately the paying public are deprived of seeing players that they'd want to see because of a lousy disciplinary system. Yeah, you can, it's mad. You're going to have goalkeepers getting suspended because sure. they get yellows for time-wasting. Sure. Yeah. You're getting players sent off now for taking too long to take a throw mm. in and one 
one fifty-fifty challenge. I mean, it's, it's mad. And people yeah. have been asked to pay more than they'd ever paid for season tickets, individual match tickets, and it, it, it's 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 the it's the supporter that sees the product devalued based on how they're dishing out the discipline, which which mm. I don't think is right. Um, Fletch touched on the last topic I wanted to talk about in the last 10 minutes or so about where we are because I kind of think this is us for the season we're going to have really good days we're going to have some bad days or slightly below par days because I think we're a mid-table team Uh, and like Fletch says where we are 12th is about right maybe a bit higher uh, maybe a bit lower depending on how good the other teams are around us Um, what do you think we are Emily as a team? I think we're we're about where we should be at the moment Um, I'd quite like to think that we could maybe push into the top 10 at some point. But um, as I I said earlier, every point is valuable in the Premier League. Every win is valuable. Um, I'm happy with where we are. We're further enough away now from that bottom pack that I feel quite comfortable. We said, didn't we, in this second season, we want to be kind of like in the Crystal Palace kind of guys. And I I think we we, we are kind of there now. Um, We showed our intent yesterday, like Fletch said, beating one of the top sides um, who came to the city ground and we did it quite comfortably. It felt like the players were comfortable in that win as well. Um, yeah, for me, I'd, I mean, I'd love to eventually see us, like you say, push into the top 10 and into maybe even push into a cheeky European space, but but not at the moment. I'm, I'm happy, very happy with where we are. Very happy. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a one needs fitness is really key to it. Um, mm. We need to get Chris Wood back, certainly. But at the moment, yeah, I think things are spot on. Greg, do you, do you think? Do you think it's a challenge to the supporters that if Forest do become mid-table Premier League, how do you think everybody will cope with that? And the reason I, why I say it is that Forest have been lurching from one high or low to another for what seems like forever, either threatened with relegation or pushing for promotion or scrambling to stay in a division as they were last year. And there's always been that unwavering support behind them from the from the crowd because the players have needed them so much. I think the challenge to the Forest fans now, to all of us, is to keep the city ground feeling like it is mm-hmm. if they become a nice, steady, middle-of-the-road Premier League team where there's no threat of being relegated and there's not that much of a chance of being a European side. But, but they're nice and safe with good players. I, I'm fascinated to know what it feels like when that happens, because we could be really close to that situation becoming as it is, and that could be this year. So can everybody maintain the passion and make it feel like it does in those circumstances when there's no fear or jeopardy? Mm. And do you see where I'm coming from, Emily? Because I've covered them yeah. the, I've covered this club for what? Since 1990. And... I can remember the good times and I can remember the bad times, but I can also remember a real apathy when it's just been okay. And that's been such a strength of, of, of the whole, this whole rebirth, the, the, the main core behind it has been that wonderful support all the way yeah. through. Yeah, I, I think that's, that is a concern, isn't it? And like you say, for, for recent years of people following Forest, we've had that jeopardy every single season. And I would say the beginning of this season when there were some voices saying, you know, the crowd isn't what it was last season. And we said it's because there isn't that jeopardy. Um, I hope that the crowd can can maintain the atmosphere. And I guess that's that's kind of up to us, isn't it? And I guess it's up to Forrest to bring out those performances. Um, I, for one, shout at every game, but I can't speak for everyone else. What do you think, Greg? I mean, 
I'd be quite happy to have mid-table mediocrity for the next couple of years um, because actually the jeopardy is not great <laughs> for your heart or for your anxiety or anything like that. And every single game I feel like I've been to in, in recent months or years, my heart's been in my mouth for 91 minutes. And then you can sometimes relax, sometimes be annoyed and go home having squandered a lead. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Greg? I've got a couple of things on that, on Matt's original point and then Fletcher's. Um, in the long run, if if people think we're, we're going to be a mid-table team for the next, I don't know, 10 years or something, yeah, you'd probably say, I'll take that now. But it doesn't seem like our owner thinks that's going to be the plan, does it? He wants continuous progression. So I think throughout the seasons, we're just going to see us progressing and progressing and, you know, one day maybe touch on those European spots. Um, but I feel like I'm the one on here who needs to keep people grounded every so often. So um, I think uh, I was looking at the tables last night and uh, to my surprise, I thought, where are the teams that went down? And two of them were already in the bottom three, but Leeds had 13 points. Leeds were pretty much bang on where we were this time last year. Uh, sorry, where we are bang on where they were this time last year. So there is a nice cushion. Leeds had a nice cushion last year. It doesn't take many weeks to to get either pushed lower or, you know, with the right results, we could be in that top 10 thinking, right, let's keep going. And I think that'll be the new excitement for this season. We're always going to get up for those big games at home. But when there's a when there's a sniff of top 10 or, you know, even better, I think we're going to be up for it. It's going to be exciting being in this league for, for a few years yet. And I don't, I do also believe when we also we always look at Crystal Palace as an example of a team that's just in the middle, happy to be there. I feel like our club will have more ambition than Crystal Palace long run. I don't think we'll we'll be content with just being in the Premier League. I think we'll want to go and you know win a cup or or get into Europe and do do what like Brighton have done or or better. So I'm not concerned at all, to be honest, about the jeopardy and the the you know the just staying flat really. Mm. Mm. Can I just talk you off the ledge? Because <laughs> I wouldn't even worry about making a comparison to Leeds last season. The strength of the Premier League last season compared to this one is night and day. I think there is a consensus among Premier League managers, certainly ones I've spoken to, that three teams will actually struggle to get to 30 points this year. 30 points. And if you get to 30, you're safe because of the weakness. I mean, everybody was talking going into the weekend about Sheffield United ending up with fewer points than Derby. So that's where people are kind of analysing where they are. I had Carlton Morris of Luton on the radio with me on Friday, and he was telling me that if you look at all their numbers, they're a very competitive Premier League team, but it's not translated into winning football matches, either home or away. And then you look at Bournemouth. I mean, there was a bit of speculation last season that Iriola might be coming in to replace Steve Cooper. Well, I'm pretty sure that everybody's glad that that didn't happen because all of a sudden they look like they don't, they look like they're feeling the way in the dark and can't find the door handle to get out of the room. And then, you, of course, you've, you, you've got Burnley and Vin, Vinny wants to play this wide open, expansive football that Steve tried early last season. And we were conceding threes and fours every time he went out. And it was his practicality that ended up saving us in the end. So this is a significantly weaker. Premier League than it was last year. I think where Forest are now, 13 points now in this league, you're not that far away at this point. So, 
there's no danger whatsoever of getting dragged in there. None. I will, I will wager anything you want, Greg, and you can you can stick it up against a pound. You can have anything you like. There is not a chance that this group of players and this manager will get the club dragged into a fight with Burnley, Sheffield United, um, Luton, or Bournemouth this year. I think we could be we could stink the place out and finish above them. This is not that. There is no jeopardy of relegation. Absolutely none. It's, it's, forget it. It's not happening. You can, you can be as worried and pessimistic. You can be whatever you want. But I am telling you, this is not happening. As much as I'd love to take that bet, uh, I'd, I'd have you for an NFL trip, definitely. Uh, I could never, unlike my mate Steve Allen, I could never bet against my own team. So exactly. it's not <laughs> I, happening. I won't be doing that. <laughs> It's not happening, mate. I know it's not. I know. I'm just. I was surprised to see where Leeds were. That was all. I was really. It was a good league last year. The general consensus last year was that it was the strongest Premier League, maybe in the Premier League era, based on the teams Mm. that were in there. And the fact that the three newly promoted teams stayed up tells you just how good they were coming into the top flight. When you see the disparity between the three that are in there from last season and how dominant Burnley were as a Championship side, so there's no. You keep looking upwards, my friend. You keep looking at those teams and talking about the owner's ambition because you're not going to worry about those ones down below you. I promise you. Yeah, I, I think we're fine. I think we're doing well. It's interesting. I think the next three games are West Ham, Brighton, Everton. I can see us winning all three. But I can see us slipping up in any of them as well. That's the way we are. But I think things are looking up. There was a, it was interesting last few weeks, like the demand for immediate improvement when really over the course of a season, I think we'll have a steady upward curve. But people are like, it's got to be like that straight away. It's got to, we've got to be fine. We should be winning every game. And I don't think that you can't go into individual games and say, we've got to win this one. Got to win this one. It's 38 yeah. games in the season. They've got, to, they've got to do it organically and let this manifest itself as it does. Confident in the belief that there's a really good squad that's been put together and a, a team that's better than last year's team. And that was good enough to stay in the Premier League in the end. So I think it just organically has to develop and flourish as it goes. And I still don't think if you sat him down in, in an honest moment and said to Steve, do you absolutely categorically know what your best eleven is, what your best team is in this situation? Who can you trust in that situation? I still think he'd say to you, I'm still learning about individuals because they've not been here for very long. And you've got to see them perform in those in those situations before you can find out everything about them. And I think from Christmas onwards, I think you'll see a way better team than you've got now. Yeah, it's an evolving team still. Like, I still don't think we know how to get the best out of Morgan Gibbs-White in this team this season. There's a few little intricacies that are, that are going to be ironed out when you have seven new players. I was looking like Villa had three new signings in their team and that's the same 11 every week. And we've got seven new play- seven new signings. We're changing our back four and we're still working out and we're still doing well. So I'm... Fully confident and fully behind the manager still. Right, let me just tell you, mate, you've got my number. If you get low, give me a call. If you start to worry again, call me or Emily. Don't call Matt because he won't yeah. help you. Call no, no, I think he's, he's gave it me, to be honest. He puts this doubt in you. Yeah. But no, I Do mean, you know- I'm... I'm thinking Thursday nights within the next couple of years. You know I am. Oh, when Greg's the one who needs talking up. Uh, Do you know what, Matt? It's an absolute joy to see you positive because you are normally my... When I get all overexcited, Matt tells me to calm down and tells me that there's no way we're going to get anything out of Villa. So this is great, Matt. I thought we could get a draw. 
No, no but the no, fact that you seen. just said about next three games, we, we yeah. should win them all. I'm loving Good. your positivity. Good. I'm loving it. No, it's just ne- never too high, never too low, I think, is always. No. Emily, let, this let, is... Let, me put, let me just put the caveat in that he has just admitted he's had a weekend away with Mrs. Davis. So that might <laughs> and the kids. what it is this morning. And the kids. Send this is why this is why my anxiety is so high because I live the highs like they're the best thing in the world, and then I'm, you know, you have to pick me up off the floor when Forest lose. So maybe I need to be more like you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Be more uh, Matt. Still got 950 people with us. So like I said, like, subscribe, spread the word, give us a good review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, any other business before we depart, Greg Mitchell? Uh, oh, I've got to give my little cousin a shout out. His name's Kit. It was his first ever game yesterday. Well, first ever Forest game yesterday. And I was chatting to him in the pub before with his dad. And, you know, he loved it. And I was just thinking when we were winning, please, please, because you never forget your first game, do you? And uh, saw him afterwards and he was buzzing. So uh, I'm sure if he can ever get tickets, he'll be uh, a regular at the city ground in the future. So that's it, really, from me for once. Emily? I've got two things. First thing, the same as Greg. I was there with a lovely Emma, who we know, um, and her son, Ted. And it was his first game, five years old. He had his ear defenders on. We were worried. We said, come on, this has got to be a good game for Ted. He absolutely loved it. He sang his heart out. He'd learnt Mull of Kintyre. So it was an absolute joy to watch him enjoy the match. And also, can I just say a massive thank you to my lucky scarf? I haven't worn my scarf yet this season because I couldn't find it. It was in the bottom of my wardrobe. I found it yesterday morning. I said to my other half, lucky scarf, we're going to win. He scoffed at me, as did everyone else. I think you, had a, uh, you must have had a steady weekend because, you know, Nick's a Leicester fan. There's Leicester fans in your family and finally they lost the game. So it was all right for you. It, it was a brilliant weekend and it was a joy <laughs> to come back home last night singing. Uh, yeah, it was great. Although Nick claims that he's fed up of winning. So it was about time that we got a chance. So, you know, <laughs> Too much I said, win. stick to your lane, stick to your lane. <laughs> Fletch, anything from you before we depart? Do you know what was wonderful yesterday? Looking at the ex-players that were around the ground yesterday to see so many faces there yesterday. And I've just jotted down, and I don't think this is everybody, John Robertson, Ian Storymore, Gary Bertles, Stan Collymore, Mark Crossley, Nigel Jemson, Colin Barrett, Jason Lee, Ian Warren, Sean Dyche, all there yesterday. <clears throat> and there was a real Marlon buzz. Harewood. Marlon was there too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. There was a real buzz around the place. And it, I don't know, yesterday felt... A little bit different. I don't know why. Whether it's because the, the result was what it was, but just the day. And it was fantastic watching Stan Collymore stand in the Robin Hood suite before the game and pledge his undying love to Aston Villa because he turned up yesterday thinking the villains were going to walk out there with a win. So he said how much he liked Forrest, but he said, I'm Villa through and through. And I drove to Antwerp and I watched him in the, 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 the Thursday night charade and all this kind of thing. And he was giving it large about Aston Villa. And I think he actually finished his little speech in the in the Robin Hood by saying up the villa. And it was fantastic to see him afterwards and ask him to relive that little moment where he'd given the up the villa and then he'd gone and seen that out there. Um, but it was good. It was, it was so nice to see so many, and John Robertson in particular, to see John mm-hmm. back at the stadium yesterday was was very, very special and he thoroughly enjoyed the day. And somebody there was a great there was a, there was a great moment because he watched it from a box on the other side and Stan was in the box. And somebody said to him, with this high line, how many goals would you have created for Stan? And Robbo's response was, I would have created more for Gary Bertels. I thought that was... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, A couple of quick ones from me. Uh, We've already mentioned Cajun's story, so that's all good. 
Um, there's a person on Twitter, Greg, called I don't know the real name because Twitter names are uh, stupid, but at BCP Bin on Twitter donated you know, eight fifty pounds. To yeah, he's the... done it. He he said uh, after the I can't remember what podcast. After it was, our preview, last... he said he'd donate fifty quid. Well, he said he'd donate fifty quid. quid if we win, and then he says, or if we draw, and then he says, you know what, I'll donate fifty quid if we lose. Yeah. Within minutes of the result, he'd chuck fifty quid. Yeah, uh, to the charity. So brilliant, fair play to him. Yeah, like you say, it's, it's a nameless account, isn't he? And uh, a brilliant. Yeah, stand against MD. So well done to him. I don't know your real name, sorry. Last one from me. Um, 15 minutes into the football on Saturday, Greg Mitchell. Why hasn't Haaland scored yet? I've triple captained him in FPL. <laughs> so if, like me, you've had a dud of a weekend in FPL, blame Greg. Triple captain Haaland for three points. My goalkeeper was the best goalkeeper in the world as well. The one who let two in at the weekend against us. So oh, had what a bad, bad weekend. Can well, my other keeper's Turner, and I knew he weren't playing. So, can you believe that he's the best goal in the world based on that one save in the World Cup final? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah I mean, if you think about it, you look at his body of work compared to others. You take that save against it was it Colo Mawani who made the save from in the final. Yeah. If you take that out, is he winning that? Shout out to Bree Samba as well. He got in the top ten, I think, didn't yeah. he? Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Right, we shall leave it there. Uh, thanks very much to everyone who's watched along. Almost a thousand of you with us at one point, which is great. So many comments, I couldn't keep up with them all, but I do try and read as many as I can. Uh, I did ban one person from putting sexist stuff in there. Don't do that, because uh, you'll just get blocked. Right, Greg, thank you very much. Cheers, enjoyed it. No, I would. I'm sure I've enjoyed it very much as well. Uh, Emily, thank you. Thank you. I didn't read the sexist comments. I assume they were aimed at me, but I've watched Forrest since, uh... I've watched Forrest since I was eight years old and I've been to most home games and quite a few away games. So I, I do turned know what I'm talking off. about. Thank you em very much. Emma had you back on it. I noticed that in the comments. She was right on him. So uh, off he went and got blocked. Yeah, it was aimed at Oh, him. you should send me his details. I'd love to have a chat with him. <laughs> I can't. He's gone. He's blocked. Right. Uh, Fletch, thank you very much. So outrageously poor that we've had yes. to finish on that. No, that's disgusting, disgraceful. Mm. I had to say something though, Fletch, because I'm fed up of it. I'm fed up of people thinking because I'm not a man, I don't know anything about football. Yeah, and you should continue to say something as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to end on a sour note. What's next for you, Fletch? No. What's your next big adventure after Saudi? Well, I've got Manchester City against Young Boys. If you could triple Captain Haaland that night, that would be the advice. <laughs> <laughs> and then Arsenal, Seville. And then I get to see Brennan Johnson next week. Wolves Tottenham is our game at, at Saturday lunchtime. So I'm looking forward to seeing John. Yeah, good on him. Next week. And don't forget, Greg, you've got my number. You've got Emily's number. If things get low and times get hard in these winter nights and you start don't to call me. Out, dragged in with yeah. those rubbish teams at the bottom, give one of us a shout. Yeah. We shall leave it. <laughs> <laughs> we shall leave it there. We'll be back on uh, Wednesday with something hopefully and then Thursday for a match preview for West Ham, which I'm sure we're going to win because they're not so good. Right, uh thanks very much everyone. Have a good few days and we shall see you soon. <laughs>